I've ever known Don't know where it goes But it's only me and I walk along And welcome to the Two Saltitudes Podcast. This is the regular edition of the Two Saltitudes Podcast, not to be mixed up with any of our special editions, of which there's been a lot lately, Kevin. Um, how are you today? I'm great. I'm doing awesome. I've been really in good shape, feeling great, and doing a lot better than the U-20s. Yeah, that was a sad story. Um, we don't want to talk about the U-20s because less than a week ago we were hyping them up and uh, now we all look like fools. But uh, we are going to need to break that down and we're going to break that down in uh, some detail today. But uh, we did bring a guest on, Rudy Schuler from Goal. Uh, he's going to talk about the U-20s, the men's national team, and a little bit of Toronto. We're, we're going to try and stick keep this somewhat not TFC-focused today, although there is a bit of TFC news in here uh, because we've been talking a, bit a, lot, a lot about them lately. But uh, we're going to bring Rudy on, talk about the U-20s, and then we're going to come back and I'm going to share some of the things that I've been hearing uh, today about uh, what went wrong in Jamaica. Absolutely, and we'll start by bringing Rudy on the line right now. I walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one and I walk alone. And welcome back to Two Solitudes. Rudy Schuler joins us on the line to uh, talk about the good, uh, the Javinko uh, signing, and the bad, the Canadian U20s. Uh, maybe we'll touch on the men's national team as well. Rudy, thanks for joining us. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Rudy, let's start briefly with, uh, with the Javinko signing. And uh, I read your, your column today on goal, and uh, we'll, we'll link that out after this uh, for sure for others to read it as well. But just uh, if you could just sort of tell the listeners what your, your general uh, perception of what does that signing means for Toronto FC and to, to MLS. Well, uh, to not you know, put too fine a point on it, I think it's huge. Um, you know, obviously this isn't the first go around for TFC signing uh, big name players. Of course, we all know... Uh, I, I hate using the word bloody big deal, but that that you know that just never seems to die. Uh, with Jermaine Defoe coming here last year, and then uh, that whole story coming, and of course Michael Bradley, uh, Torsten Frings, you know, going back even to Julian de Guzman. So TFC is no stranger to, to signing big name uh, contracts and big name deals, but uh, this is is even bigger because this is an Italian international in his prime. You know, this isn't a guy who's 34, 35 years old looking for one last paycheck. This is a guy who had. Uh, this is a guy who had real options in Europe. Of course, he wasn't starting at Juve because, you know, th- that's Juventus. We're talking about uh, Paul Pogba and, 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 and Arturo Vidal and Carlos Tevez. Those kind of guys are in front of him. So it's not like he was, you know, it's not like he was some kind of slacker or, or some kind of guy on the downside of his career that, that couldn't break into a team. This is, breaking into Juventus, you have to be in the, in the, in the top of the top. So uh, I won't, I won't uh, make any illusions that uh, Giovinco is at the top of the top, but he's in that very next group where um, he really could have played uh, just about anywhere in the world. But deciding to play uh, for TFC, for TFC of all teams, first of all, but in MLS, uh, it's just quite incredible in 2015. There is, if you, if you look at the, what pushback there is out there, it usually revolves around the, oh, that's so TFC trying to throw money at the problem to make it go away. They have to put a team around and one player doesn't change things. Uh, is it your perception, Rudy, that, that the management understands that and they're not trying to just make a big name signing to appease and, and they're actually trying to build around him? Do you, do you think that they understand what they're doing? I do get that. Uh, I, I do get that impression from the current management. Of course, we have to separate the current management from uh, 
all the other uh, management regimes that TFC's had, and there's there's been countless. <laughs> I can't yes. even remember them all, to be quite honest. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I do get that impression from them. Uh, it, it seems like they're not only uh, looking at the big names, which is important. It's definitely important in this market, especially when you think about uh, a BMO Field is expanding by uh, by another eight thousand seats. They have to sell those seats. They have to justify the cost that they're that they're pouring into that stadium. But uh, they're not just looking at, at the top end. They're also looking at the bottom end. You know, nobody really talks about uh, the fact that they also signed Jay Chapman to a homegrown contract last week. You know, um, of course, they had a bunch of draft picks. Uh, we'll see how those work out. But they're also filling at the bottom of the roster. Um, so it seems, and this is just the early impression I get. And of course, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But it seems like this uh, this management regime seems to to. to to be looking at uh, the the bigger picture, and uh, the bigger picture does include big signings. And this is not a small market, and, and uh, TFC cannot afford to act like a small market team. Going back to a subject we're more used to talk about in Canada, and that's broken dreams, bad results. <laughs> talk about the U20s and how all our hype and our excitement that a week ago were there are shattered this morning. Oh, it's it's... Talk about going from one extreme to the other. I mean, it's funny how we're talking about TFC in a successful point of view. Now we're talking about Canada. Who was the first draft? Uh, uh, who? Uh, exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, call me one of, you know, consider me one of the people who was fooled by this team. Uh, I thought, I, I went on uh, I, I went on Sirius XM last week and I said, you know, if this team doesn't make it through, they're a failure. And, you know, I'm going to stand by that. They are a failure. Um I don't know if I can completely put it on the players because a lot of the players that should have been on the field weren't on the field. So uh, I have to look at the coaching staff and some of the decisions to not play guys like uh, Hanson Boakai in that game, uh, you know, to not start Marco Bustos, to not start Jordan Hamilton. You know, how can you not start these guys who are key stars for your team in, in a game where you have to win to get through uh, or to even keep your, your, your hopes alive? And, and not even just talk about the one game, talking about the tournament as a whole. Yeah. It started off great, uh, you know, a, a win against Haiti, but, uh, well, well, you know, game, there were some signs. Yeah, sorry. It's sorry, that one game against there, Haiti, there was, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's just the one game against Haiti. It was, I think it was the opposition that yeah. dictated the result and not the play of the team, actually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they got the three points, and there were, but as I was about to say, there, there were some signs that uh, they weren't playing their, to the potential. Uh, then they lost 2-0 to Mexico. And in a game where it was a fair result, Mexico uh, got a couple of scares from Canada, but they were the better team. And then from there, you know, they just went off the cliff. You know, they sh this is a Canada team with the, the amount of talent they've got individually that should not be losing, excuse me, should not be losing to the likes of El Salvador, and especially Cuba. I mean, uh, it, it's uh, I'm not one to look down at other teams in CONCACAF because, hey, you know, I'm a Canadian supporter. So, of course, <laughs> I can't look down on any team in, in, in CONCACAF, but... I, you, you can't be losing to teams like that of that caliber with, with the with the the type of talent that is available to this roster. So, yeah, it's definitely a huge disappointment, and uh, I think heads will roll soon. You mentioned the coaching staff. Uh, let's describe a little bit what was that team was lacking. If we're looking at the play of the team, there was no cohesion, and it seemed like players were left to themselves. Can, can you just explain to us how they seem just disorganized? Yeah, I mean, you put it best. They really did seem disorganized, which is very odd because, uh, you know, in the year leading up to that, they seemed like a very well-oiled uh, unit kind of thing. They were where every all, all the parts kind of complemented each other, and it seemed to go, all go out the window when the when the game started counting. Now, is that uh, a classic case of the the Canadian mentality where things get tough uh, in soccer terms? They, you know, the going get tough, the tough don't get going. In this case, um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know if I can put that on these players because a lot of these players seem to have a lot of confidence in themselves. Uh, whether it was overconfidence or not, that again, that has to come down to the coaching staff getting the best out of their players. And uh, if if I were a betting man, I'd say that a, a, quite a, a few of these players are going to go on to have good careers. So uh, this is a big wasted opportunity in my opinion. Yeah, well, and of course that is the, the the key. When you look at any under under twenty group, any country in the world, uh, the the true measure is how many go on to be uh, professional contributors, how many go on to be national team contributors, and certainly there is still promise there. If I can be the uh, the positive voice for a second, the one thing that I wondered about, and I, I look at that El Salvador winning goal, the uh, the sort of the way that they approached that free kick at the end, they didn't really try and slow the play down. They didn't do some of the stuff that we kind of look down our nose at here to, to try and protect what would have been a very important point at that point in time. Do you think that this is uh, about being naive at a CONCACAF level, not understanding those CONCACAF uh, factors that we so often slip on in, in CONCACAF? And if that, that's the case, Rudy, do you think there might be uh, a positive in the failure here if they can learn from that? Uh, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't know if the Canadian uh, public at large or the Canadian mentality allows for, for too much of that to go on. Uh, we are seeing some Canadian players get uh, smarter at that, if I can use that term. But uh, I don't see it coming to the point where you know where Canadian players are going to be rolling around <laughs> and, 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 and doing the stuff that, that – that we all despise, and, and that's my point: is that we all despise it as 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 observers. And these players grew up in that in that that uh, environment that, that they come to despise it too. So that it's not in their nature to do that. Whereas in other soccer cultures, that's part of winning. That's part of, of getting an edge on your opponent. Um, I think you know you, you have to look at the, uh, the only other co- country in, in Concacaf that's really similar to us, uh, of course, is the U.S. Um, their their culture doesn't allow that either, but uh, of course they have a much larger talent pool, and the only way to uh, to really defeat that is to to be better than the other team. Uh, you know the 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 diving and so on and so forth only works to a certain degree because at the end of the day, you know the teams that dive and and and, and do that they're, they're only going to be backed up by their talent. That's why the Hondurases and Panamas of the world are, are still are still better than than all the other teams in Concacaf that still pull that stuff off. So. Uh, at the at the end, I think talent and tactics and organization are gonna gonna win out ultimately. So uh, I don't know if we should be focusing too much on that stuff. But I do agree that there should be a little bit more, a little bit more credence uh, allowed, you know, a little bit more leeway allowed for that kind of stuff within Canadian soccer. I just don't, I, I just don't think it's gonna happen. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, look, you mentioned a little bit ago whether heads would roll in, in this situation, and, and I think one of the criticisms uh, of the CSA of, of Canadian soccer is it's been a bit of an old boys network that protects its own in the past. And uh, even though we've had massive failings in, in the past, they haven't necessarily instantly led to uh, accountability. Uh, do you think things have changed within the CSA to to hold this group accountable? There really should have been more in this tournament. Will there be firings? Will there be changes? Yeah, I think it's changed enough that uh, there will be uh, some accountability held. I, I do believe that uh, there will be some firings. I don't think that, uh, you know, this isn't the old CSA where uh, Canada goes into a U20 World Cup, has the worst showing ever, and then uh, mm-hmm. the coach gets hired to, to the senior national team. You know, I don't think that this is the same CSA that will do that. I think this CSA is a little less uh, naive, go back to that word again, a little less naive in, in, in that regard. And I don't think uh, – I, you know, I hate advocating for for people to lose their jobs, but uh, and I do think that Rob Gale is is quite a bright guy, and he he knows his stuff. But maybe he was a little naive in 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 some of his selections, and in, in thinking that uh, you know he could hold out 
guys like Hamilton and Bustos and Boakai against Cuba and and hold them out hold them out for what was uh, thought to be a more important game against Honduras later this week, which of course now is a, a meaningless game. So um, yeah, I think the the naive, naivete isn't quite what it was, uh, but. Uh, you know, it, at this point, nothing really shocks me about Canadian soccer. So if he stays on for another cycle, that wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, one thing that comes to my mind is, do you think that the state of the U20 now, does it demonstrate where Canadian soccer is? And if it does, th- does it really show that Canada really needs to find an identity in their Canadian soccer to, to f- have a type of playing style that would go from the top of the pyramid to the bottom and... Do we need to do that going forward? That's, uh, I mean, that's a really tough question. Uh, how do you define a Canadian player playing style, especially when we're so influenced by so many other nations around the world? You know, you've got your your English styles, your your, your French styles, your Latino styles, uh, all that, all that kind of blending together uh, into uh, you know whatever we have here in Canada. Um, and if you go from region to region, you know they they play differently out in, in BC than than we play here in Ontario versus how, how, how they play out uh, in Quebec and, and, and that kind of thing. So um, it's for a country this large and this disparate, it's going to be hard to really uh, find a playing style that, that, that kind of suits everything from top to bottom. I think more, more likely what's going to happen is we're going to find coaches who are, who are adept in, 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 uh, in, in, in multiple playing styles. And actually, I, I look at Benito Floro, who's uh, very pragmatic in the way he's approaching the national team, and he's adapting the playing style to the, the players. And that's exactly what I think we need as a, as a, as a nation is uh, because I, I, we're just too spread out and, and, and too different in, uh, across the regions. And that's not even getting into the, all the politics and the pettiness that goes on. Um, but yeah, we're, I, think, I think we're just too spread out to have one uniform playing style across, across age groups and, 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 and programs. And I think each, each group of players presents their own challenges. And uh, if you're looking at hiring coaches, you've got to, have hire, you've got to hire coaches that are able to, uh, to be flexible and, and adapt to each, co- each uh, set of playing players that they have. Yeah, I, I've, we'll, we'll talk about this, Kevin and I will talk about this uh, in, in our next segment. There, there is some talking to some people in the Canadian soccer world today, uh, some concern about a lack of continuity between the, the senior national team and the, and the youth teams, and maybe there needs to be something addressed mm-hmm. there. But uh, let's move on to, to end the interview, Rudy, and talk about the, the, the senior national team, their pair of uh, games against Iceland. You don't want to read too much into those games. They were a ragtag lineup in bo- both countries. But uh, that said... Uh, you know what? What was your read on those games for the the two games for Canada drawn a loss? Overall, I'd say I'd look at them as a positive. You know, uh, it was a loss and a draw uh, against a team that's uh, technically ranked way, way, way higher, almost a hundred spots higher in the uh, in the FIFA rankings. Of course, Iceland was missing most of their team as well because it it, it wasn't played on uh, on FIFA dates. But uh, you know, if you take a look at it, you you can kind of see what Benito Flores is trying to instill. He's trying to instill more of a possession game. Uh, but as I mentioned before, a, a little bit more of a pr- pragmatic uh, style of possession game where Canada looks to hit on the counter and, and set pieces rather than you know try to outpass or you know dazzle the opponent. Of course, I mean they really did outpass uh, Iceland in both games and they they outpossessed them. But uh, they're not going to be able to do that against uh, stronger teams and, and stronger lineups. Uh, so they're they're going to look to to kind of strike when when they when they can and, 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 and play to Canada's strengths, which is, of course, uh, set pieces and, and, and those types of things. So we, we saw a little bit of that uh, against Iceland. Um, 
as you mentioned, I don't think we're, we can read too much into it. I think it was just uh, helpful to get a run out for some of the, the fringe guys and some of the guys who are even below fringe guys. But uh, for me, it, it was it was just positive to, to see Canada play a couple of games in January. You know, that doesn't happen very often. And it, and it, it speaks to uh, Floro uh, getting a, a new sense of, of, of maybe professionalism uh, within within the, the top level of, of Canadian soccer in that uh, – in that you know they don't they don't just go dormant for six months and then boom there's World Cup qualifying he's he's constantly looking at players and hoping to un uh, uncover maybe a, a diamond in the rough that can help out with, with when World Cup qualifying starts in June so I think that's the positive you got to take from that you know uh, a player like Manrique James who who uh, who looked a little bit like Daniel Henry out there where he he was brilliant one minute and and a little bit reckless the next you know he he could. <laughs> He could uh, he could turn out to be something, and I, I never really thought of that until I saw these games. So maybe uh, maybe he gets called up again. So it's, it's those kind of things you're trying to get out of these early uh, these early friendlies, and that's all we can really take out of it. I think Canada's own version of the cupcake camp in the in the states. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, Rudy, uh, we'll we'll touch base again soon. But I think that the we're going to see each other tomorrow for the USL Pro uh, announcement. And in many ways, I don't know if you agree, it might be the most important thing that is happening in Canadian soccer right now is those U20 kids might have a chance to play somewhere next year in the three MLS cities that have the teams. Yeah, uh, it's huge. It's huge. I, I wrote about this when when uh, all three of those teams were announced. Uh, that, you know, in, in one fell swoop, we've effectively doubled the amount of professional soccer jobs available in this country. Uh, which you know, of course, is a low bar, but uh, we got to start somewhere. I mean, when you talk about low bars, that's that's basically what Canadian soccer has been for the past twenty, thirty years. So um, we got to start somewhere, and we got to find a way to get these 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 promising young players that uh, we saw on display at the U twenties maybe a little bit more hardening experiences in the professional game. Uh, maybe if they if they had some of that, they would have uh, been able to battle through some of the adversity in, in Jamaica that we saw in the U twenties. So uh, it's a long, it's a long grind, but this is a massive step towards uh, towards respectability for Canadian soccer, and uh, I look forward to watching watching all three teams play next year. Well, one one last quick one. Uh, Did you think that kid D Rose got a future? <laughs> yeah, you know he's he's scoring in bunches, so uh, who knows? Maybe he'll play till he's fifty. Maybe Rudy Schuler <laughs> from Goal. Uh, we'll get that link out. Thanks, Rudy, for taking the time, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rudy. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Kevin Laramie and Dwayne Rollins. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kevin Laramie. Or both of them at Two Solitudes Pod. Reach the guys on email. Two Solitudes Podcast at gmail.com. But especially subscribe on Stitcher Radio. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the uh, Two Salties Podcast. Thanks again for Rudy. He, we, he did that on very short notice today, so we thank Rudy for that. Uh, thought that it was a worthwhile conversation to have today uh, in relation to uh, to the other day. Um, we're going to talk about the the men's national team at the end of this, but uh, you know we need to break down the U20s as painful as it is at this particular time. And you know we do have to be careful about understanding that we are talking about teenagers and that we are talking about the U20 level, which is generally perceived as uh, not important on a win level most in most of the developed soccer world. But here in Canada, where we need something to build on, that's why this is such a slap, that we thought these guys were ready to take a step forward. We thought these guys were representing uh, a, the you know positive movements forward. And then for them to go out the way they did is certainly dis- discouraging, to say the least. No, it is. Just like you mentioned, it's the way that happened. With the first game, the victory against Haiti, like I was saying with Rudy, yes, it's a victory. It was a 3-1 victory, but 
the opposition compared to the rest of the group they were in was it was not the same and they couldn't get that momentum or just that confidence that they needed going forward and against Mexico yes it was only a 2 nothing loss but it was still a loss and they never got back up after that knockdown yeah, certainly. And you're playing those mid-level sides, and, and certainly Cuba should even be considered mid-level. It's a little below that. Uh, it's concerning if you can't yeah. figure out how to beat them at this level. And, and I think that the heat and the CONCACAF and the pitch and the refereeing and all this, especially in the Cuba game, they were very frustrated in that Cuba game in that second half. Uh, you know, you even saw it on the um, – you know, when I – we laughed at it when we were reading it. The Canadian soccer Twitter feed was talking about players being mortally wounded on the ground and things like that. But that just sort of reflects kind of an attitude that you just need to suck it up and get over sometimes because that's what CONCACAF is and it's not changing anytime soon. You're Um, thinking the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, yeah, it's been an excuse for decades now. It's time we move past that. It's time that we should actually get ready. How come we're not practicing into a sauna in the winter to make sure... you? there's things we could do. It's an extreme uh, example I'm giving, but it's just to point out that we can figure that out. There's something we can do. There's something to get prepared for that. Yeah, the heat's different. The conditions are different. It's an hostile crowd, even though at that level, the crowd is not that hostile. But still, uh, we need to get past that excuse and do something about it. Well, yeah, if you want to ever get ahead, you do. I mean, the, the U.S. has dealt with it for years. They generally win in those conditions now. Um, they, they shut the crowd up and shut, the, and shut the refereeing up and all that sort of stuff the best way that you can by putting the ball in the back of the net more, yeah. than, more than the opposition does, right? Um, and look, you, you even look at countries like Panama and, and Honduras, and they, they've excelled above because their talent level is above us at this point too. So there, there's a lot more going on than just CONCACAF CONCACAFing. Uh, if you want, you want to blame that, that's a nice excuse, but it's just not the case. Uh, look, in the days, this is where, where I, I've reached out to several people in the last uh, last couple of days from all over the country that have been involved in this, uh, in this game that know a lot about this program and have a lot to say about this program. And uh, the consensus that I got was was a couple things, Kevin. First off, uh, I asked, you know, were we overvaluing the talent? And some people say just plain yes, we were. Others are a little more diplomatic. I think the consensus was that the the starting eleven for this uh, this group, uh, the ninety fives was was solid. Uh, was amongst the best and that we well produce several good pros there if they get an opportunity. And that is the key and we, we have to reiterate that if three or four of these guys go on to have a pro career, then this this cycle is a victory regardless of whether they go to New Zealand or not, which they're not now. Um, but what they then went on to say was that the depth below that starting 11 was really lacking and that really was exposed when the, the couple kids got left back in Europe and uh, it was exposed as well by, by some of the decisions that were made by the coaching staff and uh, you know that, that's that's the other level to next um, you know like look it's, it's not a fixing talent is a problem and what I'd say to that is that uh, you know, having 11 guys that are that are right up there and having, you know, three, four guys that are probably going to have solid pro careers is, is a step up for this program. And it shows that the pathways that do exist right now are producing some players. We just need more of them and we need to be more consistent and more diligent about finding other pathways that work as well. Uh, that is a big question with uh, – with, with the, the technical directing staff at the CSA, whether they're limiting themselves and where they they look for players. Um, I talked about that in the the fall when, when there was I talked about Kyle Aaron and how yep. it wasn't a guarantee that he was going to be on this team because he wasn't from uh, the MLS Academy uh, 
angle, and this was he was ultimately in that that team, as we know. Uh, but it speaks to something that I heard a couple times today: is that uh, uh, Fonseca, the uh, the technical director, Tony Fonseca, is, is a guy that has a very narrow view of what a professional pathway is. And and for instance, I, it was said to me that he hasn't recognized what any everyone else in the country has recognized that Sigma Academy is the fourth most important development pathway right now going on. He just doesn't recognize them in the same level. And they said fourth or maybe better. Uh, Look at the draft from last week. Just listen to the Super Draft Super Show we did on our YouTube page, by the way. Two Solitudes podcast on YouTube. But we talked about how Sigma is changing, how Canadians are being seen in the draft level now. It's basically because of Sigma, not because of the other uh, pathways. They're not. They're best, like you were saying. They're the best. It's even better than the fourth one. And there's other academies like this one growing up with the success of Sigma right now. So I think it should be taken notice of the other pathways because the other pathways are more successful. Yeah, I... I Look I, again. I, I think there is good work being done at the at the MLS Academy levels, as I've said many times on this. Um, is it a universal level? No. And and the the Sigma example is right there. And there were were kids I think involved with the Sigma program that didn't get a look that probably should have. But uh, you know that that speaks to one half of it and a little bit of it. And uh, certainly, it's not the only thing going on now. You know, Robin Gale's going to get most of the attention in this, and if there is a sacrifice being made, it's probably going to be him uh, not getting renewed for the next cycle. And I think that that's something that any coach at this level should expect, that if they fail uh, to qualify for an event, uh, particularly when there was this much attention and this much resources given to them, then he probably should fall on his sword. But what I'm hearing throughout the community is that, uh, you know, most people kind of like him. Uh, they think that he has some good ideas, but that there, there's a lack of connection between what's happening at the U20 level and what's happening at the senior national team level. And they put the blame totally on Fonseca for that. They believe that the technical director position is, is where the problem lies right now and that uh, there's some some real questions being asked about that uh, in in the soccer world in Canada right now, whether there should be – whether he should be the one that that has the target on his back uh, following this, whether we should be looking to make the, the men's program similar to the women's program where John Herdman has ultimate control across the levels. They think that uh, – and I've had this expressed to me by several people today – that Benito Floro should be running – all levels of the of the game and and from what i understand and i didn't get this directly from floro or his people but from what i understand is that his preference would be to have a different uh technical director in there a technical director that is more in line uh with his uh beliefs and and development strategies let me draw a parallel to you Dwayne, and you'll be able to tell me if it's a good parallel or not if you remember a couple years ago the olympic team for the united states They were supposed to go to London, but eventually did not qualify, the U23 team. They were really touted as one of the best of their generation, but eventually didn't realize any of their potential. The situation for me, even though it's a country that it's in a way different state of soccer than we are, I think there's a parallel to be drawn there and look at what they did to remedy the situation. Yeah, certainly I think that we like to uh, not look to the U.S. for solutions, but in, in many ways that they, they have figured things out in a way that we haven't. It's not to say the U.S. system is perfect, and certainly there are some issues there as well, but uh, but absolutely we need to be looking, we need to be open-minded and need not, not to be arrogant about our own solutions because I think that's what's got us in the problems in the past is that we've relied on the same group of people that have 
have a very set view of how things they can fix things, even though you know it's like the we talk about it all the time. The the uh, definition of insanity is to try the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, and that's kind of what happens in a lot of ways. Absolutely right. Um, just to go back to the connection, you know, if you watch, and this is maybe a segue into the uh, the national team talk. The one thing that I, in talking to people today, that they they talked also about the Iceland games, and you know, the grain of salt with them because they were what they were. But what they liked about what they saw at that Iceland level was that the the team was playing a very possession oriented. We're trying to make passes. We're trying to make plays. We're playing a style that was was very progressive, very forward thinking in, in a lot of ways. They weren't uh, trying to do the old route one thing. They weren't trying to to you know bypass the midfield to get the ball up to you know a streaking forward or something like in the past you might have seen a Canadian team and they they suggested that the tactical difference between what was happening at the U20 group and what was happening at the national team level was glaring and was startling to them and that they they really wished they would have seen the U20s be a little bit more um, given a chance to succeed a little bit more and, and given a chance to sort of be a little bit more progressive with the ball and a little bit more um, technical in their play and they, they felt that that really was uh, you know obviously the coaches got to bear responsibility for that but they they also felt that that was a bit of a directive that they were you know they felt that they had guys in Lauren and, and Hamilton which are talented strong kids that they could just sort of uh, overwhelm uh, oppositions and, and sort of out physicality them and uh, that didn't work out uh, whereas you saw with the national team level, they you know they tried to play with Iceland a little bit, the Iceland D team. But however, they they tried to play with them, and and they, that kind of disconnect is is what we're talking about here, yeah. and it speaks to it, it's you know the CSA, uh, Kevin, it's not as bad as it was in two thousand, the mid two thousands, it, it's like two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. It isn't. There have been changes that have been made, and they are have been progressive changes that have been made. However, it's it's like you had a laptop and you watched a lot of uh, online streaming from Russian websites, and it completely got destroyed by uh, by a virus. And you've taken it back to the uh, to the store, and they've cleaned out ninety five percent of that virus. But that five percent is still going to cause a problem, and it's still going to make your your laptop not run perfectly and not run as well as a laptop that doesn't have any virus, right? And that's kind of where we're at right now. We got to get rid of that five percent, but that five percent is hard to find, and it's hard to get rid of. Hey, just to go back to one point you mentioned a little earlier about the the recent change of style of play of Canada. They're, they're playing a more high percentage pass, a high percentage play, the result of the play, which in the past, we're trying long balls, like you were saying, trying to bypass midfielder, and that doesn't have a high percentage of being accomplished. And they have to be realistic and coherent with their skills set and execute the type of play that will enhance their strength and hide the weakness of the team. And it's something for me that's mind-blowing that we didn't do earlier, Dwayne. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's mind-blowing. A lot of things we didn't do earlier in this country when it comes to it. And, you know, I've said this many times that we're paying for the sins of, of you know, 2000, late 90s right now. I mean, it's it's we went into a very deep hole and it's going to take a long time to climb out. I do take some positives by the fact that there are, as I said a minute ago, some some potential in that group. But, uh but from a national team success level, you know, I think that what we're seeing in the last couple of weeks is that 
that were at least a cycle away. And that's hard from a fan perspective, uh, but you really have to, I think, you know, focus on on the process. If if you are a fan, if you do uh, truly care about the sport and want to see it to grow, you you can't get caught down in in the the glory. I guess I don't think anyone that's a Canadian fan is going to be ever be accused of being a glory hunter. But um, <laughs> yeah, we might qualify for the second round of qualification. Woohoo! Exactly. Yeah, I tell you, we're going to earn it when we get there. But uh, <laughs> look, it, it's it's a we people are. I will defend the CSA when people attack them blindly and just say, you know, sack the CSA. We got to blow it all up again. That's just not. It lacks a little, a certain nuance. But there certainly are issues. And and again, I I point to the technical director position and ask whether he is the most qualified guy to be running this program right now, and whether we shouldn't just be handing the reins to Floro, um, make a universal program from top to bottom. Uh, Floro's made some strange decisions in terms of uh, relying on the older guys right now, but I. I think that maybe that might be a reflection of the talent level more than anything else. That that the reason he's bringing up unattached FC is because he doesn't want to completely destroy the confidence of of, of the younger group by having them destroyed every game. Well, he might needs be to having have, his reputation destroyed by having a team loss lose, even though they're in a re- rebuilding process too. Yeah, I don't know. Floral cares about his reputation at this point. He came to Canada, but his, his boss might though. Yeah, you know. Uh, look, the first year under Floro, they, they were getting killed, and it wasn't pretty. And and they did need to bring some of those those older guys back in. And I, you know, we saw a player like Ian Hume will be a player. Like even though he's older, as long as he keeps playing, will be a player in this cycle. So you might as well get him back in the program. Like Di Rosario is another question altogether. Uh, however, if he there's some talk today that he that Houston might have some interest in MLS for him, so that's hope yeah. for Canadian cycle that he does. Uh, but certainly he's going to be done after the Gold Cup. Um. You can criticize him to a point, but I, I come back to this like balanced idea. He gave lots of kids a chance in that game. He brought a guy like Nana out of quarterback and gave him two games out there, even though he looked horrific at times. <laughs> Nana did not look good. Um, oh, Nana. Yeah, sad story that. Uh, nice guy Nana is too, so it's, it is a sad story. But, uh, but you know, you do need to, to maintain some level of, of competitiveness. And, and I think that those older guys, for better or worse – uh, still have more talent than most players out there, and, and they're going to need to be filled in there until until a better time comes around. But in terms of like the style of play and the confidence that he's building and how to build that style of play, they they aren't reverting back out to the the boot and chase of the old. They haven't they aren't panicking at the at the national team level at the senior national team level. Um, that's why that Columbia game was so refreshing to me. It wasn't that it was exciting to watch them bunker for ninety minutes. It was that they didn't panic during the ninety minutes, even though there was a highly wasn't hostile, but there was a big crowd cheering against them and so on and so forth. It's just small battles, and we've got to focus on those small battles. And, you know, getting a draw against Iceland, it was a decent game. And and, and we just move on and we take it from there, I think. But the U-20s, oh, it's, uh, again, you know, it, there's there's problems. We've, we've touched on it. Uh, at this point in time, we just got to hope that the US, those USL pro teams start to offer these kids a, a chance to maintain their career into their early 20s so that we can uh, make them professionals. And, and then we won't care whether we're playing in youth tournaments because that, the big countries don't care if they play in the youth tournaments. They only care if they're producing players. Last thought before we move on, Dwayne. Did we get our hopes high too quickly for that group of players? Did, did we hype it up a little too much, that tournament? Um, yes and no. I think that, uh, there was legitimate, uh, excitement over the tour in the fall where they got the good results and there was, uh, 
a suggestion that there was a lot of talent, at least in the, the starting 11 with this group, that uh, that should have been uh, celebrated. And I think that uh, I would rather see Canadian soccer fans get too excited for a group right now than to than to be negative and constantly dwelling in the failures of the past. I mean, this is a program that uh, that 8-1 is still very fresh. It's still a fresh wound in a lot of ways. And and for the, the community, um, such as it is, to get behind and to start to just get back into the day-to-day process of supporting this team and trying to see it grow, I think is something that needs to happen and, and, and needs to happen for the overall health of their mental health and for the health of the program in, in terms of its support moving forward. Um, did we oversell their their potential? I clearly based on the result we did, but I, I just don't know whether it wasn't just Canadians that were saying that that no. this was a good group. There were, if you listen to some of the American coverage, some of the people that covered cover um, prospect uh, sort of players, that kind of type of thing. They they saw talent in this group too. So it certainly was. Uh, something that uh, that that was a disappointment, and I think it's good that we're disappointed because it, it, as long as that disappointment and that frustration leads to people critically evaluating what happened and making necessary changes, that this will be the most interesting test of the new CSA is what they do with this. If it's just business as usual moving forward, then I think that we need to start beating the drum for for you know what the hell, guys, what what are you doing? Um, but if they make some changes, then then we need to you know we need to think that the not that, we, again, as Rudy said, we don't want to wish people lose their jobs, but in, in this industry, in this field, uh, accountability in terms of the, the scoreboard is, is the ultimate uh, thing. It is. It is. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll uh, wrap some in Wallace News up. And yes, the wait is finally over. Teespring.com slash Two Solitudes Podcast. You can get the official unattached FC shirt. Yes, you can finally represent the most consistent feeder club of the Canadian men's national team history. You can finally walk around the street and be able to walk around with pride one of the most famous club in Canadian history. Yes, the wait is over. Teespring.com slash Two Solitudes Podcast. $25 well invested in the future of Canadian broadcasting in the world of soccer. While supplies last, shipping not included. And we're back, and uh, gonna gonna wrap the MLS news up here. We've talked a lot about Toronto in the uh, the recent days, so I'll I'll get this quickly off the top. Uh, Damien Parkey, I think that's how you say it anyway. Parkey is the uh, the. Polish international defender of French descent, which is a mouthful, uh, that has been linked for TFC for uh, for several weeks now. The the hang up there was always that uh, that there was maybe a transfer fee that would be required. Uh, just yesterday, very quietly, it sort of slipped under the radar when the uh, when the Javenko uh, news was breaking. Uh, he actually terminated his contract in Spain, so he is now available and a free. Uh, I think everyone agrees that Toronto FC needs to address the backline next. Uh, that was the question I asked Bezbachenko in the press conference, which you can hear on yesterday's uh, a special edition, um, and they they sort of agreed as well. So we'll we'll leave it at that, and we'll we'll evaluate that more as it ha- if it happens. But uh, certainly, if uh, Toronto doesn't uh, address the backline problems, they may have to score five goals a game next year to win. Um, speaking of defenders, Kevin, uh, the Impact have signed one. Why don't you tell me a bit about uh, Mr. Simon? As a DP on top of it, Laurent Simon, a Belgium defender. Let me just get this right so I'm not mistaken his age. He was born in 85, so he's 29 years old. Uh, 
not too old, but maybe in his prime for a defender, you would say, as a center back. He's not the tallest of defenders, five foot eleven and a half, but tall enough to have an impact in Major League Soccer. His play is a physical play. He used to play his uh, most recent club with Standard de Liège in the first division of Belgium League. He's a which is a great team. He played for Belgium in the World Cup last summer. So he, it's a great signing and as a, as a DP. We don't see that often in Major League Soccer. Surpri- I am surprised that Montreal went that way. But uh, sometimes you need to build from the back and that guy might be the key. Yeah, certainly uh, it's interesting that MLS is now allowing DPs at the at the back. They, they didn't for a while, as Toronto C fans can tell you well and good. Um, you know, a guy that uh, Simon, I assume he's a French-Belgian, so he will be able yep. to fit into the Montreal culture pretty well there. And I think that is, that's important to consider, sort of how a player fits in your community, as we learned with Jermaine Defoe as well. Um, and and it's, I'm glad they used that... Uh that talent pool because they never did before because Montreal is a place that would attract French-speaking players in Major League Soccer that the other team don't have. It's an asset that you have a French-speaking city if you look at it that way and I never really used that in the last three years that the league's been in the, the club's been in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I, I don't take a cynical view of that at all. If uh, the impact went out and tried to build a very French team, uh, I don't think anyone would blame them. It also works from a marketing level, too. I, I would suspect that uh, that Montrealers would embrace that, would they not? I, I suppose so. Same for Hispanic players in L.A. or Miami. It, some things are made to go together. And French-speaking players playing for Montreal compared to playing for Columbus... It, it's more attract. It's more attractive to a player if he's French speaking. Absolutely, yeah, uh, for for sure. I mean, for many look, reasons. You know, you, even beyond that, this sort of the the, the obvious, like, sort of surface stuff. Again, as I spoke to a minute ago, you want a player to fit in in the community, and if you you bring in like there there are English speaking Americans for the most part, there are Canadians for that matter that are, are going to struggle in Montreal for for language reasons. Although Montreal is pretty easy to get around to on English, but it, however. Um, if you so get you, out, if you get out of Montreal, yeah. But it, you think about it from effective too. Uh, you know, if if you have a, a spouse that wants to work, you know, and they don't speak the, the language, then then that's going to be difficult. There's lots of factors that fans don't necessarily think of. So How I about the Jabrowski, Dwayne. <laughs> I I I, I will. <laughs> Speaking uh, of uh, former Impact players, did you see? Uh, is Mr. Warner complaining about the uh, about the special announcements in uh, Canada the other day on Twitter? <laughs> Not Warner. Uh, pardon me. Uh, no, Farad? No, Wagner. The, oh, Wagner. The, yeah, he he tweeted out, uh, "Stop with the special announcement. We get it. You have unlimited funds." It was like dripping in bitterness and sarcasticness. It's hilarious. I don't know whether he was being anti-Toronto or anti-Canada, but he used the term "north of the border." It got retweeted quite a bit yesterday, so you, you might want to check that one out. I saw um, that. Uh, I saw that too. Another rumor concerning Montreal coming out yesterday, and that's all rumors, but it comes from a beat reporter of Coventry City Club out of the championship. Apparently, Simeon Jackson would like to end his career. On his home soil, and apparently Montreal could be a potential destination. Apparently, we'll keep an eye on that as well. But a Canadian men's national team coming back home—that's interesting. Yeah, uh, Simeon would be. Uh, I am would be very careful with him in an MLS context. Not uh, as a DP. Not over my dead body. 
Yeah, no, he's not a DP at all. There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, he is a guy that is is quite slight. Um, that has struggled in CONCACAF too. So I would be very – like I, I love him as a player and I think his story is great and it doesn't get told enough. It's essentially the Canadian version of Jay Merritt. He went over there and you know lived with family and worked his way up from the conference to, to play in the premiership. So it is the exact same story with the exception of the World Cup aspect of it, but that's not and his fault. There's no movie about him. Yeah, there is no movie, but no one's spamming me on Twitter every two days about a movie. Um <laughs> I've seen the movie. It's it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're being generous with that. Okay, uh, it's okay. <laughs> He's retired now. You don't have to be nice. Yeah. At any rate, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Look, that's the thing that we we when you bring Canadians back, and I've heard the Atiba Hutchison rumor to Toronto, which uh, I don't know whether that's just people connecting dots that aren't there or what the case is. And we certainly saw the Julian de Guzman uh, uh, situation back in the day. That Julian. Look, Julian had moments for TFC where you could see the quality there, but the amount of attention that went on him because he was a Canadian international that came back on the big money was something that he never overcame. So I would be very – you have to be very careful about that when you're bringing over the established Canadian players that you're you're bringing them over for the right reasons and not just uh, for the passport, which may sound contradictory to those that are screaming at their their iPhones right now at me in Vancouver. I'm talking about the upper-level guys, not the kids. When you're bringing in a name, a guy that's established himself in Europe and you're paying him big bucks, they're, they're going to have to perform. And Canadians are such, that, Kevin, that they will chop the head off their own quicker than anything if they don't, if it doesn't go right, right? There's a lot of ah, stupid Canadians. There was a lot of that with Julian. A lot of people that just dismissed him because they thought it was ridiculous that we signed a Canadian international and clearly he was overrated. Um, that was a, something that came up. So with Simeon, it's the size that would worry me the most. Uh, Another player that was similar size and did worry players and actually is not part of MLS club right now, Issei Nakajima Ferran. It all started on LinkedIn. Uh, beginning of last week, picture of him appeared on LinkedIn with saying that he's just been released by the club, and that's the first I've heard of it. That's like 30 hours before the, first, the actual release of the club. So a second time I see that in the last month that a player... Post it on LinkedIn, then the club is forced to announce it after that he's been released by the club and he's actually looking for a club on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. <laughs> LinkedIn yes. works? Uh, yes, I guess it's, <laughs> you know, in the ratings of social media, it's right between MySpace and Facebook. Like It's like it's somewhere in between. But I mean, that space LinkedIn, is big. Yeah, I, I, I've never really found that it works works that well uh, but at any rate um, i guess we're not in so. yeah we're not that linked uh for a football or two it seems a little odd did he post a youtube video highlights of himself on there <laughs> i guess <laughs> with a good song behind it like a like a creed or a, like a uh, <laughs> limp biscuit song <laughs> creed oh dear <laughs> no wait it's a canadian he's canadian now it has to be nickelback oh dear oh dear <laughs> <laughs> poor man's Nickelback, poor man's Creed. Anyway, uh, yeah, is a um, did he overprice himself? Is that what you think happened there? No, but I, I'm what I'm disappointed about that is not for Issei per se, is because Montreal traded Colin Warner and now for nothing. So the, a lot of trade this year by Montreal resulted with the team less than what they actually paid for at the end, and to me, it's, it's still mind blowing. That that's happens year after year. Montreal, I guess I'm getting used to it, right? That's what you would say from Toronto to me. It's like, like aren't you used to it yet? I guess now. 
it's a, you had a lot of success at the USL Pro level, so it's going to take you guys a little bit longer to get used to that side of things. Um, look, we broke it down at the time how uh, we thought that the TFC probably won that trade. We were the um, first ones to say that because at the beginning, everybody was saying Montreal was winning that trade by far. And I was one of the only ones from Montreal saying that, uh, guys, you were looking at Warner the wrong way because what he does, it's not flashy, but it's impactful at the long run. And look at today where we are. It's an important MLS piece that every team needs. He's, he's your backup central midfielder in a lot of ways, right? Your central defensive midfielder sort of there. He's, he's a, a squad player for sure on a good team, but uh, he's absolutely a player that uh, that's the right value and it's going to play for a while in MLS. So I, I look, I like Dizay too, but wide players are um, generally speaking in the MLS context, when you're looking at a salary cap, getting wide quick guys is more your 18 to 22 year olds. Your your younger guys that you break in because there's less sort of defensive responsibility out wide. There's there's more chance for athleticism to, to rule the day and uh, you can take more of a risk and I think the younger guys, it's just generally how most MLS teams think is they, they would rather break a younger guy in out there than to use it on an older player. Um, that, Dwayne, I think the winger spot in MLS in almost every 20 team included in the league now is not a spot that is worthy or nobody has the value enough in that position to to be like cemented in that position. Usually, there are people that you move around and you fill that position with the, some of the roster that you have left after you spent your money at other places. With a salary cap in the league, you can probably not afford to have a big piece and a place that it's not as influential. Uh, it doesn't have the same influential on the game. As another position, as a center, central midfielder, or as a forward would have compared to yeah. a, a winger. You talk about building the spine. That's 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 yeah. a phrase you hear all the time, and it, it's it's universal, and it's accepted that way because it's it's reality that you you can afford to be a little more risky on the on the outside because athleticism can can overrule talent or their technical talent on, on the the wide parts of the of the field. Now, I think that the one uh, counter to that, and we're getting a little off topic here, is the fullbacks. And I think you're going to start to see mm-hmm. a greater push for more overlapping athletic uh, attack-minded forwards or fullbacks in, in MLS. You don't necessarily see them uh, a great deal in the league right now. And that's kind of the next evolution of the game in North America. But uh, those players are tough to find. Uh, and I don't know whether we're ready to pay the type of salary. I don't think Pablo Zabaleta is on his way to MLS anytime soon, right? Like you're, those type of guys are, are are tough to find that can play that sort of amazing overlapping. And as uh, soon as there's one, somebody picks him away. Look at Yedlin. He was the first one we had in years that was in that position and had a, a an offensive flair. And he's already with Tottenham, so. Fair enough, and we'll see how, how that goes. Uh, you know, briefly, uh, I think we'll wrap up into this and talk about Carl Robinson a little bit, but uh, I did want to mention Daniel Henry real quickly just as an update. Uh, he did actually play 65 minutes of a, a West Ham development game uh, the other day. Uh, for what it's worth, the uh, West Ham uh, play-by-play, minute-by-minute uh, did have high praise for his uh, 65 minutes of play when he came off, said that he looked good in uh, in distribution and tracking, and uh, they, they thought that it was a good debut for the young Canadian who uh, tries to get his game legs in there and hopefully he'll see some action somewhere soon. So that's a little Daniel Henry update for you there. I uh, hope, hope is a uh, finds a contract. I don't know whether the NSL might be a, a place for him or, or what, but that's hope he, uh, we and hope there's all three new teams in Canada next year. Well, this year, next couple of months, there You're might so be fun. opportunities there. Who knows? All right. Um, let's talk about the West coast now and, uh, and Carl Robinson's extension. Yes. Um, 
look, I, I think we all agree that Carl Robinson did a decent job with the with the Whitecaps last year. Uh, if we've talked about, if we look back to what we were talking about. Uh, well, this podcast didn't exist a year ago at this time, but if had it existed, we would have been talking about how they, the Whitecaps uh, had to replace Camillo and maybe they were going to take a step back and they were probably sort of maybe in the 7-8 kind of range in the West and he managed to get them up into fifth place, which is, of course, that mythical playoff spot. Uh, so he has been rewarded with an extension there. Um, you know, They needed stability. I think that was the whole reason for the extension. Yes, he did a good job. He did maybe bring the team to a higher level than was expected of him. But stability was a big factor in re-signing him, I think, too, because in MLS, it's a point that we keep repeating all the time here on Two Solitudes, but stability is really important going forward. And even if it's not the best coach, same for Montreal here, sometimes stability can be more important and eventually overcome the lack of skills as a coach. Yeah, and, and look, I think that Robinson's greatest strength is his ability to relate to the to the players and to be a player's coach. Now, that can have uh, downfalls occasionally if you're too much of a player's coach, but, uh, you know, if things go bad, then can you can you crap the whip? Uh, I think that there are, is some evidence that he can. Um, certainly, he was a very tough-nosed player that, uh, that was always a leader on the pitch when he played. Uh, we saw that firsthand here in, in Toronto, and uh, anyone who, who followed his career before that knows that as well. He's a highly respected guy with lots of contacts, especially in the UK. And I think that that plays a big role in that too, that his ability to, to sort of, uh, to work the contracts and contacts part of me and, and to get players in because ultimately that's the, the other half of the manager's job is not, it's not all about the tactics. Uh, it's, it's a lot about being able to attract players. And, uh, Certainly, uh, the Whitecaps have a philosophy and the type of player they want in, and Carl Robinson seems to be able to find those players and to work with them. And, uh, you know, we applaud the move. He, he is a, a guy that's, uh, you know, almost seems Canadian. He's been here so long now. I know, you know, he stopped in New York for a while, but uh, I think everyone kind of likes Carl Robinson in the Canadian circle. Uh, and uh, we're glad to keep him around. Maybe one day he might be able to, uh, to, to play an active role in the Canadian system, too. We can hope in that, on that angle, maybe. Ah, sure, but don't forget where he actually is right now, right? He's in Vancouver, so you can't ask for too much on that side. I made a pledge to someone that I wasn't going to talk about the Vancouver Whitecaps. In the, I did it. In you did it. I did. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take a break on that for a little while and let the let it play out. Um, look, I mean, in terms of what it means, uh, you know, just in a contract extension for a coach doesn't necessarily mean he's going to stay there for the whole contract, but it is stability for Robinson. It is a vote of confidence by by the the team. Uh, when you consider the way he was hired last year, uh, it, it certainly is a, a reflection of the job he did, and and I think that uh, it's got to be viewed as a positive move in in that regard. He's going to have some challenges next year. I, I think that uh, you know people will accuse me of being biased, but when you add the CCL play into it, and uh, just uh, you know, have they have they improved enough? Uh, have they really addressed some of their shortcomings? We'll we'll see. Um, I think that uh, the Whitecaps are going to. It's going to be a harder struggle for them to match what they did last year. Uh, I think they caught a few people off guard, and w- I think Portland had a bit of a down year as well. So w- we'll see whether uh, he gets the same level of commitment and same level of sort of support uh, if they do struggle this year and maybe uh, finish. Well, there's an extra spot in the playoffs, so maybe that'll help them. But uh, we'll see whether that that level of support stays. But uh, all in all, Carl Robinson's a good guy. Everyone agrees with that. Good for him. But I think Vancouver is going to realize what we, well, me and you and us and everybody in Toronto, Montreal knew for a long time that the CCL and the calendar in MLS together, they don't mesh that well. 
not unless there's a significant increase in uh, payroll, which allows you to get the depth to compete with the Mexican teams. It's going to be tough. And spots. Like, you need more spots, international spots, too, as well. It's not just the payroll. It's you, The CBA is going to be talked about soon, so it's interesting to see if that whole thing changes with the CCL because MLS keeps saying that CCL is important to them, too. So. Yeah, well, they say that. They <laughs> I know, they it. just say it. Uh, speak, speaking of which, you've seen the uh, Impact's marketing uh, push for the uh, CCL game. It's pretty slick. i got to get I have to say, yes. It's a Dodo 2, a company out of Montreal that made the site hashtag Marconhistoire or uh, Mark History, if I'm not mistaken. Make in, History, I believe, Make yeah. History in the English version. Just go. It's, they call, it's a new trend. They call microsite. It's a site that doesn't have a lot of it, but it's really impressive. It's a couple videos, a song, a couple, a lot of impressive graphics with the history of the CONCACAF and the whole pathway to where they are today. It's very impressive. It, I won't. It is very impressive, as I said. I, I won't even point out that you won't make history if you make the semifinals of the CCL. That would be really petty of me to point that out, so I won't do it, well, that. It depends how you qualify history. It would be Montreal Impact history. True. Wouldn't be Canadian history, though. No. There has been another team in Canada. I forget who that was and whether they beat Beckham or not. No, to get you there. don't forget it. You remember. Stop lying to me. Do you think that game will sell out? Uh, they need to... I think with that website, but they need to pump it up a little more. But it's hard now. It's going to sound cliche again. But the Canadians are really good in hockey right now. And that takes a lot of space in a newspaper. It takes a lot of space in the 30-minute sports news wrap-up. So they need to uh, buy. It's going to, to to sell out. They're going to need to invest a lot on publicity, a lot on marketing. And I mean direct marketing, like TV ads and billboards on highways. And look, I mean, they, they filled the building up in, in 09 and, and full credit to them for doing that. But everyone knows that they, the tickets were very inexpensive, which was the right thing to do. I, I'm not blaming them for that. But I don't think that they can necessarily repeat the same price point that they did back then. So to expect another 55000 in there might be asking a bit much. But, uh, you know, it was a lot of – go close to 35-40, Dwayne, I would consider that a success. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the the Kansas City Dome game here in Toronto was 35,000 and that was still a lot of fun and it still was a big felt like a big thing. So, uh, you know, hopefully that I I'm actually looking to come down for that game. So, uh for fair warning there, Montreal folk. Um let's take a break, Kevin. We'll come back and we're uh, we're going to break down a little bit of USL Pro uh, news before we get out of here for uh, for at least a day. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer podcast. On Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Uh... We're going to keep this one tight because we've been long today, I, I know, uh, although you'd love to listen to his talk, um, and i love to talk for you, but uh, we will keep it tight. Uh, USL Pro uh, Stadium announcement is coming up tomorrow in Toronto uh, for Toronto. Uh, they're going to make an announcement, which I reported way back when on, uh, on CSN before it then sort of looked like it might shift somewhere else, and then it shifted back that it's going to be in Vaughan uh, at the Ontario Soccer Center. They're going to build a little three to 5,000-seat stadium up there. 
uh, which is going to uh, you know be a nice little uh, centerpiece in a, an area of the city that has a lot of uh, support for the game. Um, it will be. Uh, I don't know where they're going to start the season next year. I suspect they might play at Downsview okay. until the stadium's built, uh, or or maybe just move around a little bit. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. That was the holdup. Uh, you know, this just speaks to the commitment, I think, anyway. And look, people accuse me of being TFC biased here, but I think it does speak to the commitment that they have made to trying to do the the academy side right. Uh, and all three Canadian teams have, in fact, invested in the academy and are invested in USL Pro. And, and I think... And a lot of money. All three teams are investing millions. Sorry, you cut out there. Yeah, I was going to say, if you look at, and not all the American teams, I shouldn't make this universal, but there are a lot of them that uh, that aren't going USL Pro off the start, uh, that that are still not going into the full teams. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons that we've talked about a, a lot in the past. I think there is a greater need for the Canadian teams to produce their own talent. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, not just national team reasons, but also for success on MLS level reasons. They need to produce domestic so that they don't over-rely on international spots. And uh, this is just one more step along that way. Uh, it'll be good, I think, to... Uh, I'm glad that it's not in Waterloo. That was the one suggestion that it would be in Waterloo. Um, the TFC2 uh, would be in Waterloo. I'm happy from a personal level that I don't have to figure my way out to Waterloo, although I went to school there. It's a nice little town, but uh, I don't know if I want to drive, take the bus up there. Yeah, I'll uh, take you about five hours every time you go back and forth. Yeah, well, yeah, I might get stuck at, at Phil's. Uh, <laughs> Phil's is a famous little student bar that I'd be a complete grandfather in if I went into now, but at any rate. Um, you know, what kind of expectation will they have up there for crowds and all that? I, I think that maybe if you're looking at three to 500, uh, maybe 1,000 people per game, you'd be successful on the pitch. I don't think that's necessarily TFC's goal. Uh, this The stadium is re- really close to Downsview. It's really close to the training center. Uh, Did they announce ticket prices or how they would go with ticket sales compared to – I don't want to compare it to the Montreal, but Montreal already announced that the admission will be free for those games. will be – so in a way to not put pressure on the, the – the result of the team, how do you think Toronto is going to go in a, new, in a different market than their first team? Because FC Montreal is going to be in Montreal. Hopefully we, um, we, we find out tomorrow uh, on that stuff. Um, I had heard before that what the thinking was that there would be some kind of either free or deeply discounted uh, rate for season ticket holders. Uh, I suspect that what I've heard suggested to me is if you're a TFC senior team season ticket holder that you'd have a card or something that you could just flash to get in. Um, and that they would also offer it free to um, Ontario, those involved in the Ontario soccer community. That's one of the reasons they partnered in Vaughan. Um, you know, some people may be cynical and think it's because it has an Italian population up there, which it does. It's in Woodbridge, actually. The That's location. why they signed Juvenco. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's it's more about trying to increase the partnerships at the OSA level and, and with the clubs and local clubs. And there was some suggestion uh, that the OSA would be involved in the day-to-day operations in terms of game day and stuff like that and that they would uh, offer free admission to uh, carded players within the Ontario system. So that's something that we'll find out tomorrow. I don't think that you're going to see a very big charge to get into those games if, if much of anything. The USL Pro may require that there be some cost, although they're not in Montreal. Um, there wasn't in L.A. last year, uh, but I, I I just don't think that uh, even though MLSE is so notorious for that sort of stuff, uh, that if you look at how, what they did at the academy level last year in USL, uh, sorry, in League One, they didn't charge to get into those games. So I expect that it'll be very economical if there is any charge at all. Let's hope for just uh, crowd the crowd sakes. 
Yeah. All right. I don't think there's much more to say on that. I just want to get it into the podcast because I think it is an important piece of news. It's a nice little statement that that'll get built that I think that will be useful to the entire soccer community as well. Um, I will be at that press conference tomorrow. I will get some sound from it, and I'm sure that Kevin will be happy to crunch it and put it into a podcast form for you all to listen to after the fact. But uh, exciting news on a lot of fronts, even though the U20s sort of disappointed us all this week. And as we speak, starting in about an hour and a half, the Super Draft Part 2, so the first annual USL Pro Draft, right? Pretty much, yep. (laughs) We'll follow that. Listen to our Super Draft Live show that we did last Thursday live on YouTube. You can listen to it on YouTube and listen to yesterday's show. It's a Juvinko Tutio press conference, and you can listen to uh, Dwayne talking to Bespachenko, talking to Greg Vanning, and talking to, uh, well, Juvinko was talking, so exactly. And until later this week to talk about the USL Pro News in Toronto and the Super Draft, have a great soccer.